And welcome back to another live Friday edition of Green Rush Live here on the Pro Cannabis Media Network. I'm Jimmy Young, the founder of Pro Cannabis Media. Josh Kincaid is alongside here today as he is on a somewhat regular basis now. And in fact, I think Josh might be soloing next week when we preview a cannabis science and research convention uh, down in Baltimore. So I think that's going to be a very interesting show. Um, Josh, you're you're pretty familiar with that science and research group, aren't you? I have. Yeah, I've been down to uh, Oregon, I think, in 2016 when uh, when they first opened that up. So I've been to almost every single one they've had on the West Coast until they moved to L.A., just this year. So I'm familiar with the the founder. Uh, his name is also Josh right. and I've uh, been to the conference several times. Yeah, great. Well, I'm looking forward to that show. Everybody should tune into that like you always do. I, I do see a very active chat room, which is great. I also saw a prediction and, and I'm going to throw it out there and then I'm going to go to Thomas on this day and I'll get to you next. Uh, oh, I, I think weed will be legal in 2025. And I, I wanted to put in, you mean in the year 2525. <laughs> Thomas, tell us uh, what your impressions of this uh, latest court decision um, coming out of a uh, federal appellate court uh, from Maine about the Maine law as far as limiting licenses and 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 opening it, perhaps opening this up to interstate commerce. Uh, technically, that's not what really the dormant commerce clause does. But like these types of cases have been going around district courts. And so like in federal court, District court, circuit court. So the circuit court's finally spoken on it. And, you know, I saw that going around. I'm like, yeah, duh. Uh, because the district courts have been saying this for years because the Dormant Commerce Clause of the Constitution present, prevents states from discriminating against out-of-state actors in interstate commerce. And so there is interstate commerce in this illegal product. There has been interstate commerce in this illegal product for decades. Uh, and then the dormant commerce aspect of it refers to the, this negative implication rather than expressed text. So in theory, if they legalized it and said it's OK for states to discriminate against other states in their regulation of their in-state cannabis markets, they could. Uh, but that means that they would have to first speak on the matter. And so for right now, as long as the cannabis remains illegal, uh, there will be this dormant commerce clause problem. And we filed actions pursuant to it. I got several actions on it in Illinois uh, to invalidate the social equity and in-state residency requirements there. Uh, and these types of in-state residency requirement invalidations have been successful previously. I've, I've read opinions in Illinois, not dispositive, but the judge knew what was going on, just like the judge knew it was go judges, a panel. It was an appellate circuit court um, uh, circuit. Yeah, the first circuit uh, federal court. I don't know. I never really practiced in front of them, but um, it, it, it has been around for a while. And it's around, especially when uh, Congress does not expressly authorize their power through uh, you know, saying that it's okay to discriminate from one state to another. And, and so uh, until federal law changes, it'll be there. Right. Uh, it, it, I, just for the record, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit, Thomas. Okay. Right. Sure, Districts, circuits, and then, you know, it's, it's different in state and then in federal. And so like the district court is going to be the federal court at that lowest level. And then it goes up to the circuit, which is at the appellate level. I'm in the seventh. That's where Chicago is. Yeah. 
I get you. I, I mean, the Lord knows that. Hey, Daniel Loa from Hetty, New Jersey. Um, first of all, it's good to see you back in the Zoom room. I've seen you more at trade shows than I have in our Zoom room show. So I welcome you back. Um, I do want to ask you, your first of all, your opinion about this, this decision that came down and will it impact New Jersey or is New Jersey already starting to make inroads about saying we should have interstate commerce? Right. So like the whole interstate commerce thing, well, thank you for having me, but the whole interstate commerce thing is like a pipe dream. And this is just like one way to see, oh, maybe we'll get it. Like, I, I, like I'm not really a legal expert and haven't been following it, unfortunately. I can very much see why Maine did want to have like a bi-local provision to like, you know, protect like their great craft industry, which like a lot of people talk about. So like, it's really interesting that way. <clears throat> not being the lawyer here, I don't know how it's going to affect New Jersey. I do know we do enjoy a good buy local provisions and do want more local owners here. And we do want people of social equity, the people that are being left out of this industry, the small business people that would like an interesting podcast like this. Right. Yeah, the so New Jersey social equity provisions are at risk, at least 50% of them. The ones with the longtime residency and the uh, they don't call it disproportionately impacted area in New Jersey. I think they call it some type of disadvantaged area uh, pursuant to zip code. Uh, that <laughs> is, and then they don't speak to interstate commerce at all on this decision. It was really about the in-state residency violating the dormant commerce clause because Congress is not spoken to this. They've just said it's all illegal. Hence, every state has to play by the same rules. And one state's not allowed to prejudice another state uh, in the administration of their uh, current regulated markets. And so when they do these cases, and then it's strict scrutiny. It's not one of those uh, rational basis tests in law. Strict scrutiny means uh, the person bringing it, once they've satisfied the, the threshold of showing that there is discrimination going against out-of-state actors, going on, they're probably going to win. And so that's one of the reasons when this came out, I'm like, good, you know, it, it was not a surprise. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it's- Yeah, so I it, really love that we're gonna call that these large corporations that went, went in on the markets discriminated as if they're poor black people in 1953. So they're, they're the ones getting discriminating against, you know, I guess, you know, I guess you can similarly get like interesting arguments in that fashion, but you know, it's, uh, it's quite some hey, time here. Hey, hey, Dan, in the um, in this article that I took from Tom Angel and Marijuana Moment, at the very end, it talks about the um, our, your friend, New Jersey Senate President Nicholas Scutari, uh, who filed a bill that would authorize the governor of that state to enter into agreements with other legal states to import and export cannabis. Is he going to be able to do that? Yeah, Nick Scutari has a lot of pipe dreams himself, too. You know, it's one of these, like, wishful thinking things, you know. If you want to be at the front of... He also wants to legalize shrooms and allow homegrown shrooms and not cannabis. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in the State House this summer. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on a second. He wants... He's going to go with homegrown shrooms before New Jersey has homegrown cannabis? Well, he did introduce a bill with with the legalization of uh, magic mushrooms and the whole magic mushroom industry in the infrastructure, and it did include home grow, and he has not in included that provision in any of his legalization bills. So it's a really funny, fun summer in that fashion. What's the money behind that? It's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. What are the lobbyists behind that? That's a really good question, Josh. I really wish I knew. I really, I'd like to meet a mushroom lobbyist. You know, I feel like I hear. <laughs> A lot of cannabis people are like that's fun news. I applaud that news, but they themselves 
and not pushing it. You know, I think it's right. It's one of those things. I think it's like you know, this is like the start of a process. You know, a lot of times, you know, you know, a bill is going to take a while. And if you're a guy like Nick Scutari, you'll keep winning re-election. You know, this might take six years, but this is the first bill. You know, you reintroduce it next time, and then so on and so forth. You know, this might be the most expensive version, so you want to compromise. So you take those things out, but, you know, you start with this as the bargaining chip. Mm-hmm. For, from a media standpoint, you have these small <laughs> businesses, you have you, these social equity applicants, you have all of these brands, but there's a million regulations. So what are you recommending cannabis businesses do to promote their brands or products? I recommend they read HeadyNJ.com and that's to me <laughs> to promote their products to the great uh, community here. Mm-hmm. Hey, Talk- hey, t- Go ahead, Tom, go ahead, you got any suggestions on, I mean, you got your own podcast, you, sure. you've got your own advisory service, um, tons of regulations, but how are these businesses going to actually promote their brands and products to these interstate potential clients and or investors, business partners, strategic folks? How are they going to do that? What's the best get, advice you can give to how they can get their name out there? Hemp derived Delta nine. I mean like that, you could just start a website and start selling that interstate and go right around it. Um, but you know, it's, I mean, cookies has like brands of CBD and, and caps and shrooms and stuff like that. And so they can just do that completely interstate and then get licensing agreements uh, on an in-state by in-state basis, because then you have a brand that's nationwide. Uh, and then of course, it, depending on what state we're talking about in, in New Jersey, one day they may have, and it might be three years from now, it might be five. They may have a glut of growers that are trying to move their product so much so that one of those hemp companies could say, Hey, uh, here's our brand. Here's our genetics. Here's our IP licensing agreement. We'll pay this packaging fee. We'll be out there hyping your goods all over the internet. Uh, and I could see a lot of IP licensing uh, agreements being in the future for those types of companies that are trying to uh, go beyond their own particular state. Uh, I still think that, you know, that until it's legal and the feds say it's allowed to discriminate, like one state can discriminate against another state, you know, just for its marketplaces. You're not looking at discrimination when it comes to like a person. We're looking at discrimination when it comes to uh, marketplaces. And so the those cases are are very clear uh, and we're starting to see it now uh, at the circuit level. And I don't think it's going to, there's not going to be a different outcome uh, because that's how the dormant commerce clause works. Uh, and so if you want to have that type of discrimination where one state's allowed to preference its own uh, products, cool, you're going to have to build that into the federal regulation, but how do you do that? And then still allow for the interstate commerce. Uh, and that's going to create a whole bunch of other tricky aspects because you're trying to protect your state's economy. Well, what does that do for states like California and Oklahoma that are like, what do you mean protect our state's economy? I got to move this product. I want to I want to push this product into Tennessee and other states that are, are going to be federally legal. Uh, you're going to have that, you know, these two competing forces against one another. And I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. Mm. I got a question for you, Jimmy. How are you keeping your brand authentic while not selling out to sponsors' interests? Uh, by not having as many sponsors as I want. <laughs> How's that? Is that, is, feeling, Jimmy. Is, that a, is that a transparent a- 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 answer or what, guys? Look, uh, it, it's not easy. And, and, and I'm not going to say this realist. I can't give you the real reasons on this, but it is a delicate balance when you're doing live talk or, or uh, presenting the news and you have sponsors that are in the industry that want you to cover their events and their stories. 
And, you know, so we still have to sit back and, and say, you know, is this just another opening of a dispensary or is there a story here that we can do? Um, and and both you guys, well, especially Dan, because you're, you're definitely the journalist here. There's so many good stories in cannabis that aren't being told. And I'm talking about the ones that we all hear. Cannabis saved my life. Cannabis changed my life. You know, those are the stories that aren't being told. And those are the stories that we'd like to tell. So um, it, it's a balance. It really, it, you know what? The separation of church and state in journalism has evolved during the commercial period as audiences have changed. Have they've, they've moved towards getting their information from wherever, whenever, and whomever they'd like to get it from. And so, it, it, you know, we'd like to think that every reporter and Dan, I'd love you to, to chime in here. I'd love to think that every reporter believes that they're reporting on facts and factual information. But the human element in that is the hum that human is still deciding what are those facts that tell the story best. Dan? Right, that is right. Right, Jimmy. That is like the heart of it. That is like a big issue. You know, the nature of objectivity and who's really objective. You know, people can talk into like their natural biases and like popular thought, you know, about the nature of the economy, for example. There's a lot of biases if you really read stories like that about those things. You know, like I like I myself say this is muckraking journalism in the fashion of like the early 20th century. Like I am pro-cannabis. I am on the statewide coalition for legalization that pushed the referendum in 20. So, you know, like those are my, pre those are, so I'm not going to say like, I'm not unbiased here. You know, I am pro cannabis and, but, you know, I've covered some of those patient stories and they are great stories. And, you know, it's hard, you know, as like a very humble operation to cover all the stories I want to. And, you know, it is a line to walk there. You know, when some people do want for free press and who deserves free press, you know, we only have 27 dispensaries here in, in the state of 9 million people. Each of one opening is a story. Do but you to say like when they have new products, is that a story? Maybe not. Right. So do you think that traditional media, we all know that the stigma is still out there. We all know that there's been signs of normalization and acceptance of this plant medicine in various states. And every, every state goes through this. But the traditional media outlets, and I'm going to, I'm not going to name them, but I'm going to say network affiliates in each market are always looking for the industry to stumble, to fail, to make a mistake so that they can tell that story. Now, whether or not it's factual or not, what I have my biggest beef is they should be able to balance a positive development about a new industry with a negative um, incident in a new industry. That I don't see. And that's because it's commercial media. That's because they know, hey, did you hear that story about the company that uh, that threw out the inert weed in the dumpster, you know, and 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 they got fined two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It was grass clippings. These were inert pieces of cannabis that were grass clippings. And yet they still got fined because they didn't dispose of it properly but this was a the red tape in the industry and that is the, the, the bias that they're playing into right because who's going to watch like the 11 o'clock news the five o'clock news like old people old people that don't like cannabis
Hey, hey, then, uh, I'm turning 65 in two weeks. Don't be doing ageism in this on this I'm not show. Doing right? ageism. I love old people. Old people got <laughs> wisdom. You know, they got a lot of need for cannabis products. I'm That's just right. saying that, like the conservative nature, Jimmy, the people that are unenlightened, un in stark contrast to yourself, are their core demographics. If you look right. at but it, what what is the chief really uh, advertiser on the evening news? Go ahead. If you go what? watch the evening news mm -hmm. and they go to a commercial break, yep. What's the commercial about? Pharma. Pharma. Uh, Open a box, cola guard, you know, uh, something like that, where it's and then some and they because they, they, they know their trademark law. They right. always have these fanciful, arbitrary names that they can get trademarked uh, like Suleva. I mean, I'm not even sure that's a thing. Uh, and then it, it is nonstop pharmaceutical drug commercials. And then they get back to the news. Not right. one is about cannabis. You get then every every Super Bowl that goes around uh, weed maps will buy another spot on the Super Bowl, and it'll make news that they aren't allowed to advertise. Right. Yeah. Well, and and there is a bill. They are talking about allowing ads on traditional TV and radio now uh, in front of the house. And, you know, until until these traditional media outlets don't have to listen to the FCC. See, this is the problem, guys, I think anyway. I mean, people still don't know. You can cut your you could cut your cable. And you could still get broadcast television on your smart TV for free. You don't have to watch television and listen to the radio uh, with a with a cable or your phone. Because we're so used to the now with the phone, we opt into our communication devices. Because we opt in, that means that we're okay. You could swear. You could get away with stuff that you can't get away with on traditional media network affiliates that have to apply for a license every year because yeah. the FCC is still protecting the airwaves that yeah. nobody's using anymore. Well, and the corporations are using them, Jimmy. I read a great book about this. It's really interesting <clears throat> studying the nature of this. And like, right. So as like a guy who's like online news and like print journalism is unregulated, protected by the First Amendment. They use the public airwaves, which are regulated by the FCC. But the FCC, from its very beginning, was like a, was like controlled or like overly influenced by the corporations. It was supposed to regulate and oversee. Like NBC, like made dictated policy that there never should have been four TV channels in the United States. There were like or three TV channels that were like the big channels. It's ridiculous. It's terrible. That's why this great internet media is so great. You know, we got you guys, we got Thomas yeah. Newland, we got HeddyNJ.com. Independent cannabis news in New Jersey. Yeah, again, but I don't know about you, but I'm being ignored about what we've built here and what we've been doing now for two years in media, in my backyard, in my hometown. Um, I haven't been as proactive complaining about it because I would like to think that because we have a national reach that we've built this thing on during the pandemic on Zoom, it's a pretty good story that we can have a national talk show about cannabis. And I don't have to apply to the FCC for this because the Internet is we're all opting in. We're paying for the right to have access to as many informational outlets as possible. And now the consumer is in charge of what they watch, when they watch, how they watch, as opposed to when the network, when the networks first started and it was really commercials, commercials, commercials. 
it wasn't as political, Thomas, as you're saying, with the drug companies dictating what is in front of uh, these people because they can afford mm-hmm. the high cost per thousands that are now out there because the audiences have shrunk in national and local news. It's all niche casting now, not broadcasting. It's, so it's, it's personalizing the content. So how do you personalize it and yet still reach the masses? That's right. Um, well, you know what? A network is a group of stations, a group of like-minded producers. This is what we've built here, you know? And uh, look, Thomas's show, uh, the legalization news. See, I didn't even, I think that's the new one, right, Thomas? We don't mention the C word. Oh, on they don't, it doesn't matter. I'll wake up tomorrow and they'll flag another channel. I mean, they'll flag another one. And so like it's, in the past month, we've been flagged 24 times, something like that. It's just, you just wake up and it's so like, wow. It's difficult because you're on their platform versus like but that's the thing. a WordPress site. Uh, the entire, uh, no, I, I have several WordPress sites, but then Google is still controlling all of the search traffic. And so right. Google is, is batching what search engine is going to, well, it's the only search engine. People call it Googling. And then Google is starting to self-deal a lot more stuff. They don't want you to get off the platform because they're selling ads. And so uh, as a result of that you know i'm starting to go back to uh, doing short form scripted material on the channel because that's what google wants and then i'm starting to ask like people also ask questions for example hey whatever happened to the fairness doctrine that's a good one uh, from from the past and history uh, <laughs> it is. and so uh, yeah, history, you know, yeah. yeah it's right. history yeah. <laughs> it, it's history and so now we're all just living in our own little fantasies but anyway, um, Google is still the the platform that it, it, even if you have a WordPress site that people are going to reach you from. Or how are you going to get it out? You're going to go share it on Facebook. You're going to go right. try to you know get right. get a viral on Instagram or, or TikTok. It, that's not going to happen. It's all platform based. And so at least with the FCC, it was the airwaves. And then you'd say, hey, at least you have to keep it fair. Now you don't. Now you can get Alex mm-hmm. Jones cuckoo bananas. You know that's there just hustling their products. Uh, and yeah, so we have legalization news is, is okay, popular, but it can, it gets throttled and it, you can, like, we just don't grow very fast. Uh, I'll see if I can start growing faster, but you know, they don't want you to have a hundred thousand know, subscribers out there listening. They don't want that. They want the stuff to continue the same way. And I think that's why when we hang up the feed, uh, we get sicked with a whole bunch of whatever, like porno spam, or like drug spam where people are like trying to say, yeah, you can go to this site and buy whatever, or you can go to this site and get whatever. Uh, and then it just contributes to the flagging, but uh, it's, it's not very helpful when the whole point is to change this law and to achieve good policy objectives when you're just fighting upstream uh, all the way because the thing is actually a federal crime to even really talk about, you know? Yeah. But that's, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was a sportscaster for 25 years and I always felt I was just doing a job. I was serving the public with information. That was my mentality. And I still think I'm serving the public with information. It's just an in- information about a controversial plant. And, you know, so I don't think I've changed that look, but um, Hey, Thomas, you and I, we are going to talk because we don't want you to get, keep getting pulled down on YouTube. You deserve your own channel. You deserve your own right to broadcast to live stream whatever we want to call it um yeah, I, awesome. I love being on with you and Mickey the, a couple of weeks ago and uh and what time is your show on sundays can we say that 
Yeah, yeah. The show's on Sunday. You can go watch it live. Uh, it's 3 p.m. Central, which is 4 p.m. on the on the East Coast. So we actually do have a 4:20 somewhere on Sundays. Uh, yeah. And then I think I'll, if I can get into the the habit of it again, uh, I'll have like Wednesdays at two. I'll release the scripted materials. Uh, a couple of months. Uh, last week I did one. How much does the dispensary make? Uh, and then next week I'll do one, um, maybe like IP licensing agreements or just something more about uh, actual operations in the business in approximately eight minutes, because that's what they want. Uh, right. And then like, it's it's amazing. And so I could go through your data and show you, like I'll have a, a podcast, maybe it gets viewed 5,000 times uh, because people are trying to catch up with the, the cannabis news for that week. Right. And then 20 subscribers, but then I'll do a video about, you know, these are the top states that are going to be legalizing in 2022. 300 subscribers, you know, watched about the same amount of time simply because it's a formula and they want you to do that formula because they want people on their platform. This is what happens when you become publicly traded, right? You have to grow. You have to beat on earnings. Uh, I want to see treasury stock. You should be buying that stock back. You know, I mean, Josh could talk more about that. He's the financial analyst on the, on the panel. Absolutely. But, um, uh, it is up against the last half hour, guys, and uh, we have a special guest coming on next. And you remember books, right? <laughs> remember books? Like I wrote like, one, right? I'm, I nice. think it's great, and I know somebody's writing one too. But I read this book, and let me tell you, I'm a very slow reader, and I really enjoyed it. And it's about Taris. It's by uh, Taris Batiste. He's going to join us next, and it's a it's a the title is "Don't Let It Smoke You." creating a non-toxic relationship with cannabis and it's his journey with the plant from age 12 and i think he's he may be 30 i think you know what he's probably around that age but he was drafted by the atlanta falcons he played for georgia state university he's a college football player we all know the athletes out there that are very pro cannabis because they don't want to be prescribed opioids for the inflammation that is part and parcel of being an athlete. So Daniel Loa from Hedy, New Jersey, and Thomas Howard from Legaliz Cannabis Legalization News on Sundays on YouTube. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Josh is going to stick around, and we'll be back for the last half hour. Don't go away. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.